I'm Joshua Best. I'm Jacob King. And this is Somebody Somebody Else's else's Favorite Songs. Casual popular music discussion spanning the past 70 years. We talk about the music you love. And the music you should know that you may not. You are listening to episode 25, where we realize that we don't need no dang lyrics. How are you now? <laughs> Good and you? <laughs> Not so bad. <laughs> we are coming to you from a Saturday, a beautiful afternoon. It's nice and cool outside. It's very nice and bright. And we're in the studio for episode number 25. 25. And that is quite a milestone, isn't it? How, it is how to great me. is that? We had a lot of great uh, feedback and uh Listening for our last episode that Joel joined us for. Very quick. Quick numbers. Quick listeners. We had over 60 plays in In like like three days. Three days, yeah. That's highly, highly unusual. Well, for it to be that fast, yes. um, Generally, we'll get in that range within the first week, and then they'll continue to filter in. But uh, I guess the response was, was good, and we appreciate Y'all listen to that and are glad to be back for, for something else. I wasn't sure how acoustic guitar songs was going to turn out, but I thought it went pretty well, and I some think, of you tend to agree. I think it did turn out, and I wasn't sure, but then again, I'm never sure how it's going to turn out. It was fun, and even Sarah herself said that she liked it, and usually she is usually more muted about her her praise for the... <laughs> <laughs> So well, she tends to like what she likes, and it's it's difficult to get her to branch out. It is, it is. But we've helped her a little bit on That's this true. on the show. That's very true. And hopefully, we've helped some of uh, some of you others out there as well. We want to bring you the music that you love and the music that you should know, but you don't. That's exactly right. And I wonder if we're going to get any of that in this particular episode. I can tell you, we will definitely get into some new mentions. And some out there mentions. Okay. This is a this I should go ahead and say this is a first for us. This episode, we have decided to do songs without words. That's right. There yeah. will be no lyrics or no lyrics to speak of anyway in the songs that we have selected for you as we take a look at instrumental versions or instrumental songs in popular music. Which, to say, we're not counting anything, there's no orchestra, there's no classical music, and I would imagine there's no jazz, would you say? Because, I mean, when we talk about when we talk about instrumentals, I don't think about jazz. Because, you know... Because jazz doesn't have words by default. That's how well, I think of it. Generally, I mean, there's so many different kinds that... That it would be... It's, that it's difficult to say. I, I tend to think of it in doing something like this as something you would find on a, a radio station uh, that would be in the more popular music format. So you might find something in a crossover type area, but as far as are we going to select something from 
you know, Miles Davis. We're not or talking about Davis or Coltrane. Probably, or like probably that. not. Well, for, I can tell you, I'm this not. Project. Me, me neither. I see. I do see a jazz episode in our future, but that's yeah. That, that's, that's really uh, something we've talked about that we need to do. But, why you should love jazz. But to me, it's on the outer limits of our of what we're doing here. I mean, because because we both know how expansive a genre rock is, quote yes. unquote rock, classic rock, etc. Well, jazz is this whole other. It's like a whole other continent, right? No, so it is. We're you know we're in Europe, and jazz is in America. That's yeah. how far it is. And I know some jazz, but you know it's just so expansive of a genre. Yeah, I I think what we would like to do. In, in that case, I mean, I listen to a, a fair amount of, of jazz, and I, I tend more toward the bop and hard bop side of things. I like Miles Davis and Charles Mingus and, and some things like that. But I, I think it might be fun for people who don't like... Do you remember the series of books that they used to have? Or not books. <sighs> There was a series of albums that they had a long time ago, which you probably don't remember, called Classical Music for People Who Hate Classical Music. And the idea was <laughs> it would take you know, either well-known melodies or uh, less challenging, more approachable type stuff um, and, and, and then present that for the average listener. I think that would be a cool way to approach doing jazz. Is Okay, here's some jazz for people who think they don't like jazz. That I think that's a good idea. Yeah. This might be the first time we've openly discussed an idea for an episode while we're actually recording an episode. Well, we we do not have a script. No, we don't. Which is probably painfully apparent to all of you. Probably. <laughs> it probably is. But we we just kind of go, and and I think it's that's a pretty good idea we need to... We need to put down that I we think do. would be fun. Um, you know, we do some some very niche things at times. I mean, where we'll do an artist profile. We've done a couple of those. And, and those are fun. And we really like those. Those of you who already know those artists probably like them. And then there's probably some of you who have learned new artists that way. And well, some who listen to the episode because you're completists and won't ever listen to that <laughs> artist again. I mean... <laughs> You know, it, but it, it really gets to the heart of what we do, which is bringing people music that they may not know. Right. Which is the artists we've talked about so far have been, uh, in the grand scheme, quite obscure. So by and large, in the grand scheme, and I mean, we try to throw enough of everything in there to to have a broader mm-hmm. type appeal, and I think this particular subject is one that, frankly, could very easily become boring. The subject of of music without words, uh, yeah, of, of instrumentals, because <laughs> when you when you start talking about famous instrumentals, there are some that we won't mention right now that come readily to mind that are ubiquitous, that yeah. everybody is going to know, or that are important to the history of rock music. Yeah, this is this is a subject that going to going forward what you were saying. There are some that come to mind immediately, but then you think, how many instrumentals are there really in this in this genre that that get on anybody's radar? I had a little trouble. There there are a ton, but it sort of depends what you're thinking about. Um, one one of the well, let me put it this way: I, where where I'm th- what I'm thinking about as we start talking about this is what direction did we decide to go in? And you're saying that you found this to be a little challenging. 
I did, be, just because it does get boring. It does get a little boring, because you have to have something going on. There has to be something happening. You know, when you listen to a song, what's, name a song, <laughs> name a song, uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand by the Beatles. You know, there's there's music and there's words. You know, the there's a melody that is being sung. And so some instrumentals that I've come across, they're just... They're just a backing track. There's no, there's no melody. Ah. There's nothing going on. There's a couple of pretenders instrumentals uh, that I know of, and that basically it's almost like they couldn't think about, they couldn't think up a good melody or good words. So they said, "This song sounds kind of cool. The music sounds kind of cool. Let's just do it and yeah. put it on there." And and so a lot of times songs like that can become filler. Yeah, exactly. And. Even great bands that try to do instrumentals can churn out some filler that would apply to exactly what you're talking about. I'm going to guess that maybe you didn't select this, uh, but I'll use it as an example. The, the Beatles catalog proper includes one instrumental. And one that I chose. Okay, then but I'll, I but yeah. I won't now. No, 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 no. No, I'm talking about the Twelve Bar Blues on Anthology Two. Oh, well, that's not what no. I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I know. What are I you know. doing? I know. <laughs> did you choose Flying by the Beatles? Yeah, I did. Oh, well, X that out. X that comment out then. Totally. Just you can back that out. I thought you were going to choose Flying. That's why. I, oh um, no, it isn't that interesting. But no, no, it's Beatles. I mean, it's it's fine. It's Beatles. We it, hadn't it, talked about the Beatles. It's fine, proper but it's while. it's an example of something kind of I thought kind of like what you were talking about. You know, do I ever go out and say, "Boy, man, I want to listen to Flying"? <laughs> yeah, but but how many instrumentals do you want? Do you seek out and listen to? That's the question. That is the question. We're keeping all this in. Okay, okay I'm going to choose something else now. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm that, so used to my my songs getting stolen that I'm well, just <laughs> I just expect it now. Well, but that really is that really is a good way to discuss the question. Uh, and that you're that you're talking about uh, how how often do you seek out an instrumental well that goes right along with what makes an instrumental good and is it just filler and backing uh, or something with flying of course it was a piece used in the magical mystery tour so it's it's movie music right which has its place and it's and it's but but how do you do something really interesting with an instrumental especially interesting enough to make it popular, influential, or a hit? I, I My answer to that is, to make it interesting, it pretty much is a showcase for a, virtu, for a virtuoso musician. Okay. okay. That's where I'm coming from. I, and I'll go a, a slightly different way, and I'll do that with my first selection, if, if you're ready to roll. Okay, I'll let you go first. Let's see what you got. Okay, so... I did want to avoid just picking the the most well known ones. Uh, hold on, I okay. want to make a prediction that you will still you will still one of mine, okay. or I may still one of yours. That's okay. my prediction. Okay, I'm I'm gonna try real hard not to. And yeah, well, that that is, went really well last yes, episode. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. <laughs> this, <laughs> and I just want to point out as well. That before we were before we began the episode, we're setting up, we're talking. We hadn't seen each other in a week, so we're just you know whatever. And you're very excited because you the first thing you said to me when I walked in was, "I'm gonna blow this up." 
I'm going to break the rules. You're going to break the rules. So <laughs> I'm I'm so, waiting on that. All right, I am going to break the rules. <clears throat> but again, I did not want to select always the most obvious. So some of mine are going to be a little more obscure out of the general public than than some of the others. <clears throat> the first one is definitely not. And uh, if if I were going to make a list of the most important um, rock instrumentals of all time, there's about three or four that that head that list. But for me, this one is probably at the top of that list. Can I can I guess? Go ahead. Is it Booker T and the MGs? It isn't. Oh, really? It isn't. Although <laughs> that's the next one I would think of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's right there at the top of the list. Uh, this one is is not though. So this um, this particular song, and I'm looking for my notes. There they are. Okay, this particular song was released in 1957. So it's definitely an early an early rock song, and it was recorded on when Gene Autry's label Challenge Records. Uh, brought in a rockabilly singer from California and took the Danny Flores uh, or the Flores Trio featuring Danny Flores and put together a few songs to try to get a record. And when they got to the end of the day, they put together a little instrumental jam. And later that year, released a song whose a side or a single whose a side was "Trained to Nowhere" that you've never heard, that I've never heard. I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but it wasn't until a DJ in Cleveland flipped that record over and played the other side that an all-time classic was born, Tequila. Thank you. 
I move that we strike this song from the episode because they say the word tequila in it. <laughs> you have cheated. Have I cheated? This is not an instrumental. Oh, <laughs> sure it is. <laughs> no, they say the word tequila. <laughs> that they don't. There's no lyrics. <laughs> tequila. That's the lyric. <laughs> Incidentally, if you're a, a beginner. Uh, who goes to a karaoke establishment with people and you want to get in on the fun but you can't sing, just select this and everybody will love it. And all you got to do is say tequila three times. It's perfect. <laughs> so this Danny Flores fellow was supposed to play the saxophone, um, which would have been on this record, but he couldn't because <laughs> he got a jaw injury at a local establishment, quote unquote, the night oh. before in a brawl. Oh, okay. So they had to bring... And it just says somebody else in to play the saxophone. So I don't know that we know who's playing the saxophone in this all-time classic that continues to be culturally relevant here today, uh, over 60 years later. Uh, just, it's it's ubiquitous in the culture of the times. So back to the question, what what makes this great? Well, it is extraordinarily simple. It's a two chord vamp on an acoustic guitar going. I mean, it's got that Latin rhythm, kind of a uh, modified Bo Diddley. And then it's got a very simple lead part on the the saxophone that goes. I mean, that's basically what it does. Well, that's the essence of a good jam. I mean, yes. And that's that's the key. It's a good jam. A good instrumental is going to be one where you kind of can't sit still. You kind of you kind of have to move. It makes you want to dance, and that is certainly true of of this particular song. In fact, if you were to say stumble out onto the street and knock over a line of motorcycles in front of a biker club, you'd probably be able to get out of it by putting this record on, putting on some high heeled white shoes, and dancing on the bar. What are you making reference to? <laughs> my my co-host has apparently never seen Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Because oh. the centerpiece scene of the movie, that is exactly what happens to Pee-wee Herman, who is about to get the tar beat out of him by a bunch of bikers. And he puts this song on and puts on those those platform white shoes and dances on the toe tops on top of the bar while singing tequila or while tequila is playing. <laughs> and all the bikers are yelling tequila. Yeah, you know what? I guess I've given myself away. I've probably seen that movie like once. Uh, and this is Pee Wee Herman references are big in the in the parlance of, of, of our of our group. But <laughs> Yeah. They're so. big in the parlance of people my age who sort of grew up with with Pee Wee Herman. I thought, so, you know, that you're being so specific. There's no way you're just making that. Yes. It's, it's got to be something. <laughs> That's certainly one of the main things that I think of when when I think of of tequila is is Pee Wee's Big Adventure and how how hilarious that part of the movie was. But in researching this a little bit, I'll go ahead and issue my first citation for cheating. Because on my first song, I am going to play a second song as part of my first selection, which is a cover of Tequila. 
<laughs> okay. And this cover of tequila is from 1983. Listen to just a little bit of this, and then I'll tell you about it. That's Al Jarreau. <laughs> you did hear Al Jarreau. As soon as the, the, this, the subtle scatting in the, at the beginning, I'm like, wait a second. So this was not on an Al Jarreau album, but it does feature Al Jarreau uh, very prominently for those who know him. Jacob picked it up immediately. Oh, so it isn't explicitly an Al Jarreau uh, It recording. is not. It is from a 1983 album called Friends, released by Larry Carlton. <laughs> and includes, as part of the musician's... Jeff Porcaro from okay. Toto and Steely Dan fame, and uh, Abraham Laboreal, who is a famous oh, yes. Mexican bassist who plays with Steely Dan. And whose son plays with Paul McCartney. Yes, Abe Laboreal Jr. So uh, it's a it's an interesting yacht rock interpretation it of is. tequila. It is. <laughs> so bingo on yacht rock. We just, we just needed like some interplay between Algero and Michael McDonald, and that would have made it even better. <laughs> Tequila. Yeah. <laughs> we will come back to you. <laughs> so, my first selection, one of the all-time great instrumentals, Tequila by the Champs, who incidentally, I told you the story about when they recorded it, they weren't even a band then. They actually got together and formed the band The Champs after the song was recorded and released. It went so well that they <laughs> so, they tried and, to get some... So we'll name all the other Champs songs we know. Ready, go. Yep. All right. <laughs> and we got a, a unique cover version of that from Larry Carlton and Friends. And so that was Tequila. Tequila! Well, that is very... <laughs> <laughs> that's very interesting so yeah yacht rock interpretation that, that's something you don't hear every day no you don't so i already mentioned that in my view there's some sort of virtuosity on display in an instrumental that's interesting it well that's not exclusively but that's kind of where i went when i was choosing these songs uh so before pg uh, interrupts me. This person was indeed born and raised in Texas, born in Austin. <laughs> I can't seem to get it right, but this time I looked it up to be sure. Yeah, it helps when you do a little research. It does. It? <laughs> it does. It does. It actually is great for you to do. So, this is a guy who is a virtuoso guitar player, 
also very good at piano, apparently. And this song was famously performed on Austin City Limits. The guitarist's name is Eric Johnson. And this might be the most prominent selection on my list. And one that, if you don't know the name of this song, you will recognize it. This guy is can shred. I'm He's an incredible super, guitarist. I'm super, super glad you picked this He's song. He's incredible. It's called The Cliffs of Dover. Thank you. 
that incredible i remember well you know you've heard it well yeah i i remember getting that cd it was called avia musicom right and uh listening to that and just being blown away by that that song in particular because of the the very melodic nature of of the playing and we've talked about virtuosity before he's a virtuoso that doesn't always do it for me but this right. one, this yeah, one does. He, it's I, great. I, I said he can shred. I'm not saying he's like a, a shredder, like Joe Satriani or something like that. This, but he can play. I yeah. mean, he the, his skill is just out of this world, off the charts. Yeah, and guys like him. What I mean by that is they they tend to become more uh, technical, technical, um, you know, than than expressive. And and one of the things about instrumentals is, you know, instruments were created for what purpose? To mimic the human voice. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And on this song in particular, the the guitar is singing. Yep. You know, it, it's really conveying a, a feeling. And that's really where your instrumentals uh, do, a, do a, a good instrumental is effective. Um, I get lost in this song. Yeah. And it's really just when I think of it and when I see it, this is particular recording was this is from 1988 on Austin City Limits, but it starts off ad lib, no time. There's no time signature. There's no rhythm. It's just him playing, and then they come into this four four, um, you know, shuffle. And but all I can think of is that this is not rock and roll. This is like classical music. All I can think of is yeah. like this is like the modern version of Bach and and Beethoven and. I, it's something about it, it the, the, how melodic it is. Yes, and there's sections. I mean, yes. there's there's clear sections uh, of it. it per, the one that stands out, of course, is the... That's the chorus section. And yeah. that's what everybody probably can recognize. Uh-huh. But you can't... Once you've heard it a few times, you just can't help but lock in with that. And mm-hmm. I find myself, quote-unquote, singing uh, yeah. along with it. And that's maybe that's another uh, way to tell... If the instrumental is working, if you go away from it singing, quote unquote, like you do with tequila, which you just, I mean, you can't help it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So Eric Johnson is a guitarist who has been around for a long time. And he's more of a, he's never had success as like fronting a band or, you know, being a lead guitarist for a band for a long time, that type of thing. He's really a soloist. It seems to me, uh, but that's not really the right word because obviously he's playing with a band here. But 
his his talent is immense. And he's been a sideman on a lot of projects. He's played on all kinds of albums and stuff. And even as an accomplished uh, piano player as well. He's kind of like, I think of him as kind of like the Jeff Beck from America. Does that make sense? Oh, that's that's really good, yes. Because Jeff uh, Beck is somebody else who is... The next generation's Jeff Beck from across the pond. That's a, that's pretty good. And, you know, when you think about Jeff Beck and Eric Johnson, you're not connecting them to, like, Jimmy Page. You're not hearing, like, Led Zeppelin and, like, that's Jimmy Page. Yeah. Most people, when you, I think, if they come across Eric Johnson or Jeff Beck, they don't immediately know who that is. They can't connect it, right? Yeah, I know. I think you're right about that. And I think so that's these pretty, are pretty good take, actually. Unsung heroes of the guitar, even though they both rank highly on any kind of list. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But and people who, who are guitar players or who love guitar they know. players, they know them. They know who they are. You know, I mean, Jeff Beck's going to be a top 10 player. Absolutely. Um, without without question. And if you have opportunity to watch some of his playing, you should absolutely do it because he does some amazing stuff. But the same thing with Eric Same Thompson. thing. Yep. So my question for you then, Jacob, is where did you first become familiar with this song? Actually, I don't remember, although it was either YouTube or it was a it was a DLC pack on Guitar Hero back there in the day. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a Guitar Hero song. I think Guitar Hero World Tour, if I remember I, just, I remember it was a DLC. It or didn't, it it didn't come immediately Legends on Legends of Rock. Yeah. I, I don't know. but I can tell you, I'm not good at... <laughs> I can play the bass on Expert on Guitar Hero and Rock Band, but I can't play guitar past, like, medium. I I said, not that I could do either, but I would rather have to figure out how to play this song on an actual guitar than I would figure out how to play it on that Guitar Hero guitar. Well, I'll never figure it out, no matter what. But I thought it was cool when... um, And the kids were fairly young when that came out, because it's probably... 10, 12 years ago, uh, I thought it was pretty cool that this song from uh, my youth that I remembered uh, when I was approximately in that age, 10 to 12-year-old range, that they were getting to hear and liked on the Guitar Hero game. So I think that's pretty cool. I had to mention one more thing before we go on to your second was, you know, Eric Johnson, he composed it. Cliffs of Dover, but he says he can't take full credit. He says, I don't even know if I can take credit for writing Cliffs of Dover. It was just there for me one day. I love that. Um, it was just there for me one day. Literally wrote it in five minutes. Kind of a gift from a higher place that all of us are eligible for. We just have to listen for it and be available to receive it. How many people have, have had that same experience? Tom, Tom Petty, Paul McCartney, and countless others have had things just kind of come right. to them. Right. I don't... You, to have that inside of you, and of course, his opinion clearly is that anybody can. They just have to be available to receive it. You've got to know... You, you've got to listen for it, I guess. Yeah. It's like, you know, I mentioned Tom Petty as part of that. The song Swinging from the, the Great Echo album. Uh, he improvised on the spot. All the lyrics. Yeah. Everything. It just came to him. Yep. It's one thing to have lyrics and a chord progression come to you. To have a melody this complex and yet this approachable, this, this this is not a rock song. This is a piece of classical music. That that's just how I view it. Dis- disguised it's a pe- as it's a piece of music. <laughs> it is a piece. It's not a song. It's a piece. It's a piece. Yeah. Great. I'm glad. You, I'm glad you picked it. Love it. Very good. 
So what have you got then? Okay, so I forgot to mention that I have given each of my selections a category. Oh. So the the first the first selection was in the all-time classic edition. So tequila comes from my award for the all-time classic edition instrumental. This is going to be in the Impo- important influence edition. Okay. And I am going to blatantly break the rules and play two songs. Again? (laughs) That are both from 1963. Two songs from So obviously these two songs are connected in some way or else you wouldn't be joining them up like that. Yes, I've joined them up into what I've called the Important Influence Edition of my Instrumental Awards. So, so did you recognize either of those songs? Well, yes. The second song I recognized immediately, and I couldn't think of the name, but you told me it was called Pipeline. Yes, that's Pipeline by a band called the Chantays, who specifically did this type of American surf rock mm-hmm. right when it was very popular. 
they were unique from some of the other bands in that they all they often use those electronic keyboards mm-hmm. and so you got what what they kind of would call a ghost or a ghostly type sound uh-huh. and kind of a spooky and, thing and not to mention I just want to give this particular note to Joel especially the reverb on their amp is turned up so loud or so much you can hear the springs and the spring reverb on the amp just bouncing and you can <laughs> it's hear very it. cool now the first one you asked me, what does this yes. remind me does of? Does that make you think of anyone? I've never heard of it, um, but it doesn't make me think of anyone, but it makes me think of British Invasion. That's all I can think of. It is, did? Is, okay. Uh, a lot of British bands, the the sound of the lead guitar, it was just a 12-bar blues situation. Basically. But, yeah, I... So I probably should have asked the question a little differently. Is there another guitarist that you can think of that that playing sounded like. Well, it kind of sounds like early George Harrison. Really? A little, a, a little bit. That's interesting. A little bit. Okay. A certain, a certain lead line in there. Okay. It called to mind a, a certain Beatles song, or a couple of them. But I'd like for you to listen to a little bit of it again. And think in terms of the style of play more than the notes or the melody that they're playing. Okay. Okay. Okay, so you had me listen. We just took a brief pause, and I listened to it again. And now, when I was hearing it the first two times, I was noticing an effect on the guitar. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, so it's it's. I don't know if they would have been using a Leslie necessarily back in 1963 like that. Maybe they not weren't. on a guitar. Yeah, not not at that time. But I don't know what that mm-hmm. effect is in this situation. But it's very much like a Leslie speaker. Which Josh then played an excerpt of a Stevie Ray Vaughan playing this exact song. Well, he did use a Leslie speaker, and so yeah, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah, I didn't catch it. You had so, to really lead me. That, in that's that all direction. right. That's all right. But once you hear it, you can hear the influence of one of Stevie Ray's very favorite guitar players. In fact, he called him one of the kings, the baddest guitar player around. He's well known for following the Three Kings. Helen Wolf. But this is a guy named Lonnie Mack. Oh. And the song was called Wham. And it was a big hit in 1963 from a guy from Memphis, again, named Lonnie Mack, who sort of uh, started, he was as a he was considered a blue-eyed soul singer, basically. Um, which, of course, we all know is just code for white soul singer. But <laughs> he puts out this song, Wham, the Wham of the Memphis Man, and people love it, and it's going crazy. And then it's really interesting that that Jacob picked up on something that made him think British Invasion, because right at that time, that's exactly that's, what that's, happened. Yeah, that's what was going on. And, and that's why when you said 1963, you know, And that I was is what happened to Lonnie Mack, okay? 
And that you can hear something speaks to what a good job of where music was going here that the British Invasion people picked up on and did something with enough to cause some of those influences to fade into the background as British Invasion became everything. Because are are there elements of, of the Beatles and the zombies and all of that stuff in there? Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's because the British... The British rockers—they weren't. That wasn't. They, that wasn't their invention. Those no, not at their all. inventions. They were listening to American music. They were listening to black music as well. Yes, they were taking what was over here In and the, reinterpreting it and writing it as new stuff and bringing it back to them. Right, right back to us. They, it it originated here. Yes. All of it did. And it made and it made Lonnie Mack an afterthought for many, many, many years. For that reason, uh, and he still had a career. And was still very well respected among guitar players, but particularly by Stevie Ray Vaughan. And the second song, of course, we mentioned was, was Pipeline. And we talked about that a little bit already. It's, it's fairly well known. But both of these are songs that Stevie Ray covered and played regularly that came oh. from the same year. Um, I didn't know. And Pipeline. Never heard Stevie Ray mm-hmm. do Pipeline. Yeah. Yeah, of course he does it in the Stevie the Stevie way. Yeah, the Stevie way, the Stevie Ray way. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> both of those were big influences on him, and they came out that same year, nineteen sixty three, and made up part of along with the Three Kings, who the great Stevie Ray Vaughan would become. And the pipeline has been used in just countless, countless ways. And I will remind Jacob that he has seen someone play Pipeline live. Okay, who would that be? Well, it was part of a three-song medley that is called the Surf Medley. And combined with the Ventures Walk Don't Run and Secret Agent Man, you get a three-part guitar suite played regularly in concert by Junior Brown. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he is into the surf rock. He is. So we did see Junior Brown, and if you want to see some good, uh, some good surf rock, uh, he he does that medley. And so here's somebody in the country genre who's a, a picker that's playing, still playing Pipeline. So uh, big influences on Stevie Ray. And of course, later Stevie would play with with Lonnie Mack. He had a comeback album in about 85 called Strike Like Lightning. And there's a pretty great clip of Stevie Ray playing with with Lonnie Mack, doing one of Lonnie Mack's signature songs called um, Oreo Cookie Blues, which is about his propensity to eat lots and lots of Oreos. The tagline is, I got them Oreo cream sandwich, chocolate-covered cream-filled cookie blues. <laughs> and they're playing together, and Stevie's smiling, looking up. It's 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 fun. But um, Lonnie Mack died just uh, within the last 10 years uh, as one of those unknown guitar heroes, but someone who shaped the music you do know, Stevie Ray Vaughan. And the Shantae's with Pipeline, also big influences he recorded their songs, so 63, an important year for another Texas musician that we've talked about several times that I, for some reason, keep coming back to lately. But that's that's my award for influence, influential division, uh, 1963. That is Wham! by Lonnie Mack and Pipeline by the Shantes. Well, you are just cheating all over the place. I told you. I'm probably <laughs> going to add a sixth song just because I feel like it later. I, I think there could be a reason for you to do that. 
But go ahead. Oh. Uh, number three. <laughs> we'll see. All right, number two. Excuse me. So I have to preface all this by saying that two of my selections from this episode are not of my own choosing. It so happens that we have uh, some new friends that we have uh, spent some time with recently, a co-worker of Sarah's and her husband. And yes, we it, here being Jacob and Sarah, not yeah, Jacob and Josh. Right, me and Sarah, I should say. And it turns out that he is is quite the musician and quite a good guitar player and, and shares similar musical interests that to you and I. And Will he be a listener? Uh, he may be. I don't know if he will be. <laughs> we I did plug the show to him last night. Well, of so, course. Uh, he has a theremin. Oh. <laughs> hey, you know what I say to that, don't you? Yes, of course. <laughs> I've never I've never seen one in person. I don't know that I have It's either. awesome. It is really cool. Did he play it? I played it. (laughs) (laughs) Jacob played a theremin. (laughs) It's it's not a it's it's a like an updated version of it. Did a Thera play the theremin? (laughs) She didn't, but she came back to where we were, and Sarah was like, "What is that?" And I said, "Look, it rhymes with your name, Thera Theremin." Shout out to Dan. I just met him, and now we're talking about him on the show. I've never met him, but I already like him. <laughs> he's he's into like electronic music and techno stuff. It's it's this newfangled version of it. It may be older, but still, it's not the thing that you think of when you think of a theremin. Mm-hmm. It's actually got some controls on it where you can do pitch correction and effects on it and, and all kinds of stuff. But it's incredible. Wow. So are you going to play a song that features a theremin? Well... <laughs> All that is to say, I told him what we were doing, and, uh-huh. he, and I said, you know, I've got one or two songs picked, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. So he tells his wife to uh, get his phone. He's like, I'm going to give you a list. <laughs> and one of the songs I had never heard, but it turns out that it's called The Swan, and it is a, it is a song which features a theremin. Yes. But I'm not, I, I'm not going to play it um, on this episode. I may play it later. Okay. I don't know. Okay. For fun. But... Two of the songs, my second and fourth, will be of his choosing. Okay. One of them I knew and already loved, and this one I didn't know, but I am so impressed by what we're about to hear. I already mentioned Jeff Beck. I compared Eric Johnson to Jeff Beck. Now I'm going to give you a Jeff Beck song. It is really interesting. He told me that it has to be a live, a certain live version, so I'm going to tell Josh what that is in a second. But it is an instrumental piece from Jeff Beck. Uh, it's from an early from an album from I believe two thousand three, and this oh, this really? song yeah. Oh, then my my selection was wrong. <laughs> this uh, song is called Nadia. Thank you. 
Now, can you believe that? That that is just uh, remarkable. Remarkable. It is crazy. I have not heard that. I've never heard of it. Never heard of this live album, Live at Ronnie Scott. It's from 2007. It is wonderful, Nadja. Nadja. And so, the thing, and you're not going to be able to... You won't you won't get this if you're listening to it. We may, this is one of these that we may have to post on the page. Well, I mean, you can get that it doesn't sound like stuff you normally hear from a guitar. So, the thing that's most incredible to me watching it is that he starts out with a slide. And then he throws the slide away, but it still sounds like he's playing slide guitar. No, you're 100% right. And that was the thing that blew my mind about it initially. Mm-hmm. And then with a combination of, go back and say that Jeff Beck is known for playing a Stratocaster, which has a tremolo arm, mm-hmm. and you may people may have heard that being referred to as a whammy bar. Whammy bar, yeah. But it's basically, what it does is it's attached to the bridge of the guitar, and when you push it down or pull it up, it moves the bridge, and it makes the strings be more tight on the guitar or more slack, and so it affects the pitch of it. So, with very, very subtle movements, very, very subtle. subtle, combined with volume swells, he's he's moving the volume, um, the volume knob on the guitar. I've never seen anybody do that, but it's so everything he was doing was so subtle. But it sounded just like a slide guitar, even though he didn't have a slide. It, it, you're 100 percent right. Um, if if you have not watched that whole concert, I'm going to go back and watch you, it. You now. have to. Because it is incredible. Back <clears throat> about ten or twelve years ago, um, my brother Caleb, who's been on the show, has uh, was uh, part of a band called The Trees, and we're gonna play a concert. And it was their first one, and there were a couple of first time, first show type guys in there. And he asked me to come up and sit in with them to kind of fill out their sound, so that they uh, some of the some of the new guys would would be able to relax a little bit, and you know, like maybe the singer wouldn't have to worry about whether he was playing his guitar, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I went and rehearsed with them several times <clears throat> before we played that show, and the. Um, rehearsals were in, his drummer lived a couple of doors down from him at the time, and he had a studio that was supposedly soundproof, but when the cops showed up at 2 a.m. one night, apparently it wasn't. But anyway, um, (laughs) above his garage, yes, and it was a movie theater set up, and he had his drum kit in there, and we had room in to play. But every time I went up there, and in between sets, uh, of practice, rehearsal or whatever, he always on the movie theater setup had this concert playing. So I saw this a whole lot, and we would often just stop and watch Jeff Beck play because of the uniqueness and just truly remarkable way that that man plays the guitar. It's a fabulous show, top to bottom, and this is as good example as any. I was reading about the show this concert album, and I was surprised to see uh, a name that I recognized a little bit. Just like, hmm, where do I know that name? Tal or Tal Wilkenfield is the woman playing bass. And she has played with Prince, Clapton, Herbie Hancock, Mick Jagger. I've probably read a Wikipedia page and saw her name or something. But it turns out that at the time she was recording this, they were doing this concert, she was like 20. You know, a young and upcoming bass player type of person. There are not a lot of female bass players. There are not. Um, 
the most famous ones, Carol Kay, of who course. played well, without on a doubt everything. The but, most famous. When you hear, hear the Beach Boys, you're hearing her. Mm-hmm. And when you hear ninety percent of everything else that's yeah. ever been yeah. recorded, <laughs> <laughs> but there's not a lot of female bass players, and and she's really good. Yeah, yeah. just seeing this the tightness of this band as well. Love that. I have to point out something. I watched the video after Dan told me about this song. The top comment on the video. It's this is so fitting. You could cut out Jeff's voice box and stick a guitar in his hands, and he could still tell you what drink he wants from the bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting way of putting it, but yes, I I get the idea. I've never seen that that this technique that just so subtle on that tr- on the on the tremolo bar. You know, one of the tremolo things arm, that me. that that Caleb says, and, and he, it's certainly true for him, is that the uh, only way he feels that he can express himself is with a guitar. And these guys like this, that's truly when it's, when yeah. they are. It's part of them. Yes. It, it's, it's not something you do. It's something you the, are. The two, the man and the instrument become one. Yes, yes. And not every guitar player, no matter how good they are, not everybody can achieve that, I don't think. You know? No, not at all. Stevie Ray Vaughan, I think of Hendrix. You know, obviously Jeff Beck, you know, Eric Eric Johnson is another example. Just transcendent. Transcendent. That's the word. So, so far, you are sticking with the virtuosity area for your selections, and you've picked two awfully good ones. The fourth one's going to be a doozy. Okay, I'll look forward to it. So thanks to Dan for that selection. Absolutely. I, I thank Dan for it too. I had not seen <laughs> that video in several years, had not revisited. And it, it made me think of some some fun times playing with my brother and some guys. And um, so I, I appreciate it too. And it is really, really cool. So that's number two. All right. Awesome. Here we are. Selection number three. This time I will give you an instrumental from my one-man band edition. Uh, This will be my award to the one-man band instrumental. This is a song that, as indicated by my preface, is all recorded by one person. And do you know, it has been sampled by some 30 artists, mostly in the hip-hop community. Of course, that's where sampling's done the most common. But including The Roots and The Beastie Boys. Oh? Yes. Here it is.
Mama Miss America. <laughs> so, yes. I did not see that one coming. <laughs> that was Mama Miss America from 1970's McCartney album. So, apparently, um, we've probably talked about the McCartney album on this show before. Uh, um, if, if here's we, Joel again. If you had cataloged your references. <laughs> but Paul McCartney retreats to his home and puts together, basically, an entire album by himself. With a four-track machine. Yeah. And plays all of the instruments. And this includes some retreads from songs that he had originally written with the Beatles, like Teddy Boy or Junk. Mm-hmm. It includes full, fantastic songs like Maybe I'm Amazed and Every Night. And Those I'd are throw, probably the two biggest. I'd throw OU in there, too, because yeah. I love OU. But it also contains song snippets that are just a couple of lines repeated and some instrumentals. And this is my favorite instrumental on there, Mama Miss America, because it it's just like, it's almost like he's saying, I don't need the band. He wanted the band. He wanted the band more than any of the other three guys did. But he's just like, watch this. And he just comes out there with the drum. And just goes. I mean, it's the drums are distorted. Yeah. Everything's distorted. And it's just... Yeah, because he was using rudimentary equipment. Yes, and it's just going. And so what was not really appreciated um, or respected at the time has actually grown to be very respected in the music community in the the vein of the Homemade Project. And, yeah. uh, of course, McCartney did this two other times, most recently just last, last year. year. But this is this is the gold standard of the rock star at home making his his album, and I just thought it was really interesting that that particular drum sound, in particular, has been sampled and reused as the basis. It's a it's for a, a great hip hop. It's a great beat. Yeah, and that bass line is cool too. Yes, and he goes all. I mean, he does he does interesting things with all of the instruments mm-hmm. on on there. He's- um, he's he's a, a highly gifted musician. There's no doubt about it. It, it also illustrates where he is deficient, and that is, it was one thing for him to do that once. It's another thing for him to put out everything he noodles and doodles, which has been the criticism. I'm in the camp that says I'd rather have too much McCartney than not enough, but this album including this instrumental from my award for one-man band edition. (laughs) Uh, McCartney is one of my two or three favorite Paul McCartney albums. I don't have any fault with it. It's fun. You get two really, really good songs that he continues to play. Maybe I'm I'm amazed in every Mm -hmm. night. Can, Can you imagine the guy as the main driving force behind Abbey Road does this six months later? Isn't that wild? I mean, but it was it goes back kind of to what I said whenever you played for us last episode, the uh, Street Fighting Man, uh-huh. and how it came together and how they just used what they had, rudimentary stuff, old drum machine in a box thing, mm-hmm. that it shows how talented you are yeah. when you can use what you have to make something great that you can use the full power of the studio of the era, but you can also use, you know, a four-track at home, mm-hmm. and you can still make good music. That just shows that the talent that you have is within you. Yes. Nothing comes from the studio. Yeah. 
or the, um, you know, mixing it and, and overdubs and all that. The talent that you have is with you only. What do I have here available to express myself? Okay, now what do I not have here that I can figure out how to create? Exactly. You know? Exactly. It, that, that is what was so part of what was so great about those guys. And for me, this particular performance, particularly that that pounding drum beat, is all I almost hear it as this is his frustrations with what's happened with the Beatles just being thrashed out on yeah. the kit. Yeah. Uh, the way the way he plays that. So I thought, given our overall um working arrangement with the Beatles as part of the show that it was worth including on, on this episode. So that's my third selection. One man band edition. I, Mama Miss America. Paul I, McCartney. I did not it. see that one coming at all. So that was really cool. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Number three. Well, let me fast forward a couple years and play you a tribute to a great gypsy jazz guitarist, Django Reinhardt, who famously, Josh is already knowing what song I'm going to play. Uh, famously did not have a little finger or ring finger on his left hand, his playing hand, because he got burned up in a fire, uh, unfortunately. But he learned, he relearned, and he's one of the great uh, jazz guitarists. Anyway, 1973, the Allman Brothers Band put out this song. It's called Jessica.
that is awesome. It, it's just it's a beautiful. Classic. It's beautiful. It's it's instantly recognizable. There are way more people who know it than know what it's called. Yeah, but it is it is a classic. Uh, Dickie Betts came up with this song. It was named after named for his daughter who was an infant at the time. It was played by Dickie Betts on guitar with two fingers, and very beautifully harmonized with Chuck Levell or Levell playing the top harmony line on the Fender uh, Rhodes, and then uh, Greg Allman playing the bottom harmony line on Hammond Organ. And so it just, it's awesome. Yeah, it's it beautiful. It's another example of what I was talking about earlier. You hear that Jessica, and until you hear something different, you're going to be walking around going, I mean, you're just going to. It, you can't help it. So... I guess I'm just going to throw this in here. It's really unimportant. But I'm going to play you now the first instance of me hearing this song. I didn't know what it was. For many years, I thought it was just theme music to a show that I've always loved growing up from BBC. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a car show. It's called Top Gear. Oh, really? Have you ever heard of Top Gear? Yeah. I used to watch it. it there, it's a great show. Oh, okay. And their theme song is a version of this song. And like I said, no idea. This is Almond Brothers. No idea about the original. I thought it was just a, a theme song. Mm-hmm. So here it is. I'm going to include it just because you've gotten two extras in. Let me just have this quick theme here. Absolutely. So that's, that's cool. all I I just I mean I'm not really sure why they chose that but it's a remixed version or re-recorded using it recorded electronically I guess but for years that's all I thought it was was the top gear theme. And so <laughs> imagine my surprise when I find out that it's it's an Almond Brothers tune. So that was my Third selection. Great, Jessica. Absolutely needs to be on a discussion of instrumentals. No question at all in my mind. Love it. Awesome. So now, you are coming to your... Number four. Fourth. This is going to be in my category of the... What is this edition? Okay. (laughs) Okay. For my what is this edition. And... On the fly here. You're grabbing your guitar. What are you doing? On the fly here, I'm going to try something, and if it doesn't work, we'll cut it out. It's going to be out of tune. Let me just see what happens here. Just uh, curiously, if we go... Sounds kind of creepy, doesn't it? It's kind of a strange progression, because... It includes the chords E flat, A, and C. Do those go together, Jacob? Well, I mean, if you want them to, they will. <laughs> but traditionally, <laughs> no, not so much. No, so not I so don't, much. I'm not saying that I played them like the song. I just wanted to hear how those three chords sound together because they are used as the basis for the beginning of this instrumental that I'm calling, What is that? 
So if you were to take those three chords and bask, uh, back mask someone talking and say, take the some excerpts from a very famous classical piece and put them all together with sound effects and noise, eventually you'd come out with something that sounds like this.
So I have no idea what's going on here. And so I should say, what is that? <laughs> but at the beginning, I was like, yeah, okay, is this like some sort of Alan Parsons thing? And then I thought, and then it's, okay, it's clearly electrical light orchestra. Yes, clearly okay. it's ELO, yes. Once we got into it like two minutes, <laughs> it was unmistakable. Yeah. So this is the lead track from their extraordinary and wonderful 1975 album, um, Face the Music. The lead track, it's called Fire on High. Oh, and yeah, it is. I've heard, I've seen I, the name of it. I just, it is just an incredible piece of work that begins with the, that eerie chord progression playing. You know, Jeff Lynn liked to say that ELO picked up where I am the walrus left off. Obviously, <laughs> the Beatles' influence is very heavy with ELO, that's very clear. But when he started out thinking that way, I don't think one of the potential sound influences was going to be Revolution 9. And yet you get a little bit you of do. that. You do, and that with the backwards thing yes. and everything. So he had the random, many, random stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. mixed together to get mm-hmm. the audio verte, I think they call it, type of yeah. arrangement. Um, and, and they were not... Um, ones who escaped the wrath of the fundamentalist groups that said that people were hiding satanic messages in music through backmasking. (laughs) This was even going on this early. He was accused of it in uh, the ELO song El Dorado. So he purposefully puts uh, the drummer's voice in. You can hear it very clearly backwards at the beginning. Uh, Forwards, he would say, the music is reversible but time is not. Turn back, turn back, turn back, turn back. (laughs) And so he's kind of thumbing his nose at him. You get the parts from Handel's Messiah. And here comes eventually uh, the orchestration swell up. And they give you a nice lilting melody. And then it cuts through with that acoustic guitar. Yeah. Which is what I go away doing again. I always something that I'm taking away. And where I think the song really kicks into gear, it is That that part reminds me of Pinball Wizard, by the way. Yeah, a little bit. That acoustic break. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. You're you're not at all wrong about that. I I just the first time I heard Fire on High was probably on classic rock radio. And I was mesmerized by what I was listening to. I still think it is an astounding piece of work. It's not conventional. No, it is it's, not. It's a, a, an unusual, but there's enough structure there to pull you in and keep you interested. So at first, I'm like, what am I hearing? This is kind of creepy. And then I get the orchestrations, and then I get the pow of that acoustic chorus and... I think it's just great. I, you know, I, I can't come up with a way to describe it better than a, a, a certain YouTube comment. I'll just leave it with this. Quote, this is the best sandwich eating music ever made. When you eat a sandwich with fire on high, you feel like you're on ABC's Wide World of Sports about to win an international contest of deliciousness. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> YouTube, man. Come on. Come on. No, but it is pretty delicious. And this album, <laughs> this album goes on to from there to a song called Waterfall, which is a great 
uh, ELO ballad and contains, of course, Evil Woman, Knight Rider, yeah. Strange Magic. It is a great, great record and one of the great album covers of all time. As the title Face the Music, there's just the picture of an electric chair. Yep. So that is my, what, fourth selection. That's Fire on High by the Great Electric Light Orchestra. This That's technically like your seventh or something, That was right? my fourth song. No. That was my fourth entry. Nah, maybe. Yeah, it was I'll my give fourth you that. entry. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> so I'm not going to give any... I'm not going to give any introduction. All right. Uh, except that the song is performed by a man whose given name is John Lowry. And uh, you, you're not going to look it up by that name. But this is another one from Dan, and I thank Dan very much because I have seen, I've seen this song on YouTube a long time ago, and I forgot about it. But it's a very interesting song. Uh, again, you can, you can tell my, my list is very guitar-heavy. Uh, I've, I've got some heavy hitters in there, haven't I? Absolutely. So this person is also a heavy hitter, except that he doesn't play like his, his main claims to fame is not not music that I'm generally familiar with. It's on the harder rock um, kind of side of things. Okay. So anyway, here's the song. So, 
that was lovely. Yeah. It's really cool. And I I don't know that I've ever heard it before, but it feels familiar to me. That's a compliment is what I mean by that. Not that I think I know who it is because I don't know, but it just feels very comfortable. It's it's really soothing, and I love that riff, the main riff of it. So, this is from 2017. Okay. Have you ever heard the name John Five? John Five. John Five is his stage no. name for a long time. No. John Lowry. And again, I, I'm not familiar with his music, really. But have you heard of the band Marilyn Manson? Yes. Okay, so this is Marilyn Manson. He was uh, a guitarist for them for a while. He's also played for since 2005 with Rob Zombie, as okay. it were. So that gives you an idea of, of where he comes from wow. musically. Marilyn Manson and Rob Zombie. Yes. Wow. And so, but then again, he's also played with pretty much everybody. He's been a songwriter, uh, a sideman, session musician. He's played with like Leonard Skinner, Rod Stewart, Katie Lang. He's been on a bunch of tours. He's been all over the place. Meatloaf, David Lee Roth, he played uh, lead guitar with him for uh, like an album of a, with a band he did. And so, all over the place. But then he, he has this as well. Wow. The name of the song is called Behind the Nut Love. And I didn't tell you the title uh, because I wanted you to just hear the song. Mm-hmm. Now, when I, say the name of the, when I say the name of it, does that give you an idea as to what the song is based off of? Well, it sounds like we were talking about a guitar. Well, behind the nut, as in the nut at the end of the neck. Yes. He's playing open notes and bending them behind the nut on the headstock. So That's cool. It's unusual. and Instead of bending with a tremolo like you talked about before, mm-hmm. or by holding the body of guitar and pushing the neck, which people do sometimes. Or just bending with or your bending fingers. bending the notes with your fingers. He's letting them ring and then pushing the the tense part of the string above the nut. Right. So to just give you a small idea, uh, the, there's a bridge where the strings begin on a guitar and then they... At the bottom. Yeah. And then they go down the neck to the nut, which is a plastic or piece made of... It's made of plastic or bone or something like that, graphite. And that's where the strings go to the end of it, basically. Um I'm probably not the best person to describe it, but from there they go to the headstock where you can tune it. You can, you know, make the strings longer or shorter to affect the tuning, the pitch. And so from that point, when it goes over the nut to the headstock, then you can't you can't make any noise from the strings. But you can push down on the strings after that part of it, and you can make a, a sound like a, a pedal steel guitar, really. The Josh is gonna grab his guitar. Well, so and perhaps demonstrate it. I, I don't think I can demonstrate it. I can yeah, try. You, you can on the E string a little bit. On the, on the low? Yeah, on, on the high. On the high? Yeah. Okay, so when he's talking about the the nut, that's basically fret zero. Yeah, it, it is. It's what it is. But the, if the, the strings above there, of course, are very, very tight. And so you can get a noise out of them. Like that. Right. Which sometimes Stevie Ray would would hit one of those and then hit the tremolo yeah. and get a, get a sound that way. But in this case, we're talking about doing this. Yeah, you can do it a little wow. bit on acoustic. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, exactly. 
and you can do it you can do it much easier on a, on an electric guitar. That's really really neat. So I have never seen anybody yeah, do that. Yeah, I'll show That's you. I'll, cool. I'll I'll have to show you a video of him doing it. It's cool and. Uh, for a guy who wears outlandish makeup and costumes on stage and all kinds of weird, you know, super hard rock stuff, he grew up, his first connection to the guitar was watching Buck Owens and, and Roy Clark on Hee Haw. Mm-hmm. And he has a love of the Fender Telecaster. And so his any guitar you see him play live, it's always his version of a Telecaster, at least the body of it. Mm-hmm. But he has such a, such a collector is he that he has a Fender Telecaster from nearly every single year going back to 1950. Wow. So What an interesting dude. Yeah, really. Yeah, just unexpected. So thanks, Dan, again. for I, I saw that on YouTube many years ago, but as soon as he mentioned that song, I'm like, yeah, that's a great one. So Behind the Nut, Love by John Five. <laughs> great. Uh, definitely something that I'm first introduced to and a technique that I wasn't familiar yeah. with. So really, cool. really superb, really superb. So now we're going to number, f- well, number like nine for you, right? Or 11? Okay. My my fifth entry. <laughs> this is going to be my instrumental selection in crossover edition. So my crossover award, we're going to go to 1977 and get... A fusion song, the most famous jazz fusion song ever. So we get close to jazz as we play. Oh, whether, oh squib cakes. We, we, no, but I would love to play squib cakes by by uh, Tower Report. of Power. Yeah, Tower of Power. <laughs> that would be awesome. It's, I well, we're going to go with going. Weather Report's uh, Birdland. Oh, very good.
That's a really cool one. I didn't expect you to play that one. I, I just and really wanted to include it. It's slightly cheating as well, because we kind of said we... I told we, you I was going to cheat! Well, <laughs> so now that the cat's out of the bag here, I mean, this is kind of, this is pretty much a jazz tune. Yeah, At least, but it's a fusion. It, but, well, I mean, it, it, it got radio play. It is for you. To me, it's a, it's a, it's a jazz chart, and that because, and that's because my experience with this song comes with playing it a lot back when I was in jazz band. In jazz band, yeah. This is a pretty much a standard among, uh, you know, big bands, you know, school jazz bands, stuff like that. Yeah. And the version that I'm most acquainted with is from a trumpet player called Maynard Ferguson. He's from Canada, and okay. he's a legendary trumpet player, and he does a great version of this song. That's how I knew it. Okay. I actually didn't know that Tower of Power did this. No, no. Weather Report. Excuse me, Weather Report. <laughs> You're still on squib cakes. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, Weather Report. It, this was written by um, the one of the founding members of Weather Report, and I, I don't really know how you say his last name correctly. Joe Zawinal or Zawinal. I don't know. He was from uh, um, some other country. <laughs> I think <laughs> Austria, maybe? Uh, now I'm wondering. Yes, he's from Austria. And wrote this in tribute to the old the old Birdland Jazz Club uh, on Broadway in New York. It Charlie operated Parker. from forty nine through fifty through sixty five. Of course, named after Charlie Parker. Um, the Birdland Club is where Zawinul met his wife, and where he saw in person in, in his coming up years Count Basie, Louis Armstrong. Duke Ellington, and Miles Davis. So, yes, I'm cheating because it is basically a jazz song, but it, it it's... Weather Report is a jazz fusion band. Um, they are not a straight jazz band. And, of course, at this time, featured the self-proclaimed greatest jazz player, or bass player in the world, Jaco Pastorius. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've talked about Jaco on this podcast before. Here's Joel again. Definitely... Go to, I believe it's on Hulu, and check out the documentary about Jaco Pastorius because he is one of the most fascinating and tragic characters in music history. Indeed. And he really was the greatest bass player ever. And in this song, he plays a fretless bass, as he often did. The bass is incredible. It's a lead instrument. And he is the one who, both live and on the studio cut, does the vocalizing. It's not singing. It's vocalizing. (laughs) He's going, like that. And... Uh, of course, uh, the saxophones are played by uh, by Wayne Shorter, who also played with Stevie oh, Van yeah. and was with was with Weather Report. That's right, he was a Weather Report. Wasn't and he? supposedly, according to Jocko, this recording was one, made. Yeah, one take. In one take. I just read that. Such a cool song, and if you know any jazz fusion type stuff, true jazz fusion, um, then this is the song you're likely to know. And it's worth your time to go to YouTube and just watch those guys play it because it's it's remarkable. Trying to get something a little bit different, but that I still felt like was in more the the it's not freeform. You know, there is a clear structure to it. No, no, no. It's and, not freeform. Um and the bass, of course, is the the centerpiece in in well, it is. And I I love that, of course, as a bass player, and I love Jocko, so I wanted you to hear it if you haven't before, 
And if you have heard it before, then you probably love it. And you probably said yes when you found out we were going to get Birdland as part of this. So that is entry number five, my crossover selection, (laughs) Birdland from Weather Report 1977. So you went to a crossover situation. You kind of crossed out of rock a little bit. I did. And so I'm going to do the same. I was not sure what I was going to do for song number five. I was going to do Flying by the Beatles, but that's okay. I'm going to go to Country now. It's Brad Paisley, and it's on his from his second album called Part Two. Now, early in his career, I, he may still do it, but early in his career, all his albums had an instrumental track, and it was it was something pretty interesting. He even ended up doing an instrumental album that was simply just featuring the guitar, really, is what it was. Of course, Brad Paisley is well-known as being a great guitarist. Yes. But I'm going to play a song. So there's lots of instrumentals going on in country music, too. You think of bluegrass, and you think of all the, the the, the chicken pickers and all that. There's a lot of good stuff in there. But this stands out to me because it's the first album I had of Brad Paisley's back in the day. I think it came out in 2001. And this song is called Munster Rag.
there you go. I think I couldn't. <laughs> we couldn't do an episode. I was hesitant to pick it. I don't know, but we got to have a country slash bluegrass tune on here. Why not? Why not? And it's, that's an interesting one. Can you imagine listening to your favorite country album by a, in 19, where's Hannah? Whatever year it was. <laughs> 2001, I believe. Uh, oh, 2001, okay. <laughs> and that comes along. Yeah, it's different, but then again, it's not. I mean, like I said, Brad Paisley is well-known as a great guitarist, and he's also from West Virginia, and so... Obviously, he's had a lot of bluegrass influence, and why not have a bluegrass song? I mean, this, but, and all of my selections have been showcasing a guitarist, so. Well, and Brad Paisley is, is one of my favorites as far as country goes. Yes, and by the way, Chicken Picker is now going to be on the bingo card, because you like that phrase. <laughs> well, no, I, I haven't. How many times have I said that? At least four or five. No, I don't. In, the, in, in all of the episodes, Yes. You say chicken picker Which every ones? time you talk about every time you talk about a country guitar player. Well, what else can I say about him? He shreds. I, I just he like shreds. It. I just like it. I, I like I like the bluegrass influence, and I just love. And I I don't know if I could tell you a specific examples of other songs, but it's just such a classic country thing to open up with your main melody, which is da 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 da, and everybody's the yeah, everybody is in on it and then everybody takes a solo yeah you know everybody solos and then everybody ends on that main theme again but it's it's not bluegrass with you know a mandolin and an acoustic guitar and an upright bass and a washboard it's that plus (laughs) baritone guitar and electric guitar chicken picking there you go (laughs) in the brad paisley way so i mean what else do you want to say we got some country in there we got some rock some fusion. Got a little bit of everything. I love it. I love it. That's a great. That's a great selection. So, do you have like a fourteenth selection for us before um, we? So, um, as I said, I'm going <laughs> to cheat, and I have been cheating, and I'm going to continue to cheat because I have a sixth entry. So everything. Oh, that you really do. I really do. Well, I'm going to have a sixth entry. Well, you just feel free. Uh, <laughs> everything that I played. The, the newest thing I played was from 1977. So I don't have anything that on my list that's less than 44 years old. Um, and I thought, while that is a, an interesting representation of some of the things I wanted to share, um, I need to at least tip my hat to something a little newer. In fact, I'll go with something current. Oh? I will. So... This song... Is this going to be another Wolfpack selection? Is uh, almost, but not quite. Corey Wong? Um, Corey Wong will be part of it. Oh, good. Here come the Fearless Flyers with Nate Smith is the Ace of Aces.
so great. This is basically the Tower of Power selection. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just it's like a, a new, modern... ta- new Tower of New Power. Yes, yes. So the Fearless Flyers are basically a Wolfpack offshoot. We've played Wolfpack before. A couple of times. Extolled the greatness of how much we love Wolfpack. So much love that we stopped in the middle of the show of one of our shows to watch a YouTube video of them playing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Joe Dart, the bassist who is just extraordinary, from Wolfpack. Corey Wong, who plays regularly with Wolfpack. And uh, Nate Smith, the drummer, uh, the name in the song. And then Mark uh, Lettieri, who is from Snarky Puppy. And I've heard that name, yeah. They get together and do all instrumentals, basically. And they had a song on their EP in about 2018 called The Ace of Aces, which is this same song which they then re-recorded with a horn section for last year's release. And it is just a killer groove. <laughs> they, they are as tight a band as you will ever hear. And so whether you're going with Wolfpack Anything or Wolfpack this related. offshoot project, if you like that right there, then you'll like everything on the album. Well, it, it's just, just like that. Okay, well, here's my sixth selection. Okay, go ahead. It's so funny. You talk about Wolfpack, Corey Wong, all that, because this is a song that I wasn't sure if I was going to play or not. I put in Brad Paisley instead. And it's so funny that the song that you just played was named for a person that's in the song. Uh Uh-huh. And so is mine. Okay. This one is from Wolfpack's 2016 album, The Beautiful Game. And it is a song called Corey Wong. (laughs) Have you heard this? (laughs) Yeah.
Isn't that great? Awesome. <laughs> so great. <laughs> oh man, Corey Wong, he's incredible. He has this he has this really cool style of of rhythm guitar playing, rhythm lead type of thing, mm-hmm. very staccato and, you know, and here comes a groove every yep, time. Every time. You, they are the king of grooves, especially in like of of current, you know, type of bands. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody is better. So that was my sixth selection. Josh, do you have a seventh selection? Um Well, this actually is like your nineteenth selection. <laughs> so I said I was gonna cheat, and I've probably cheated enough. So I'll just go ahead and do some honorable mentions. Um, there are a couple of things that a discussion of instrumentals in popular music uh, should not be without that I purposefully left out simply due to the fact that they are so big. One of them we mentioned already was green earrings. Uh, green earrings. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> the rings of rare desire. <laughs> Whoops. Um, green onions, of course, or, or any number of things by Booker T and the MGs. Right. That's critical and important, but you all know it. Uh, you all also know Eruption. Uh, Eruption is perhaps the most important rock instrumental ever because it introduced Eddie Van Halen to the world right. and his special style of tap harmonics and uh, tapping and everything. Uh, just, it, it, I didn't forget about it. I just didn't want to be quite that obvious. Um, we could have included the song Raunchy, which is a famous 50s instrumental that George Harrison played for Paul and John. And because he could play it, they had him join the band the quarrymen at the time. You could play just about anything by the Ventures. Um, If you want to hear something quite unique, there's the famous Mountain Jam from the Allman Brothers that they used to play and is on their, I'm not sure what your album, Eat a Peach, which is 33 minutes and 41 seconds long. (laughs) It takes up the whole side of the album. Uh, Stevie Ray's version, Little Wing, would have been a great inclusion. I was I was going to mention that uh, Little Wing specifically that it wasn't it didn't start out as an instrumental song, of course. No, it was sung no. by Jimi Hendrix, but I haven't heard anybody else cover Little Wing and sing it. Now I'm sure people no. have. Well, well, wait, 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 wait. There's one you're overlooking. Derek and the Dominoes. That's true. Has a cover of Little Wing with the lyrics. I did overlook that, so. but you know Stevie Ray Vaughan did it and. I think that Eric Clapton's done it live and not sung, but it just seems to be a song where they want to play ultimate tribute to Hendrix and yeah. just play it. Yeah. Also, and we from, mentioned Monty Montgomery playing it. Yeah, and he, and Stevie Ray Vaughan also uh, Lenny. Did you already say that? Um, no, but I played Lenny in uh, the tr- uh, Triple Threats. Yeah, you did. You did. Episode. Well, then Riviera, yeah. um, Riviera, oh, Riviera Dreams. Paradise. Yeah, Riviera Paradise. Yeah, from um, In Step. That's another one yeah, of his. Absolutely. Um, Funeral for a Friend, uh, the precursor to Love Lies Bleeding on Goodbye Yellow Brick Road uh, that Elton John wrote. Oh, is, yeah. Is, is, pretty, is pretty great. It goes right into Love Lies Bleeding, which is one of my favorite Elton John songs. Well, speaking of lead-ins, uh, the song Serious by Alan Parsons Project that leads into Eye in the Sky. Oh, yeah. There you go. A- absolutely. That, that's true. Um, uh, lead-in um, foreplay before a long time. True. Uh, Boston. You know, <laughs> now we're just playing games here. I know. <laughs> um, we should mention Frankenstein by Edgar Winter Group. That is mm. one of the most famous. Uh, it was a number one song. 
uh, Out of Space by uh, Billy Preston, the great Billy Preston, who's going to be showing up on our TVs very soon. Oh, yes. In just a couple of weeks. As Less the Peter than two Jackson weeks documentary now. comes out. Cannot wait. Um, we're looking forward to that. You know um, what? That's what we need to do next for the no, next episode. No, we have no choice. We're going to have we to have talk to do, about that. Yeah. Well, we need to do something Beatles themed to yeah. coincide. Yeah, I, I, I think. Let's I think, do it. I think we're going to have to. Second um, brainstorm that happened during an episode. I'm telling you, <laughs> we're just rolling. What can we say? But I guess we've been rolling long enough. I. Uh, I'll Josh, run over my selection. Josh, can real you quick. name all twenty-three songs you played this episode? <laughs> I played "Tequila" by The Champs, "Tequila" by Larry Car- uh, Larry Carlton and Friends. Played "Wham" by Lonnie Mac, "Pipeline" by The Shantae's, "Mama Miss America" by Paul McCartney, "Fire on High" by ELO, "Birdland" by Weather Report, and uh, "Nate Smith is the Ace of Aces" by The Fearless Flyers. Well, I have played "Cliffs of Dover" by Eric Johnson. I played Nadia by Jeff Beck. Nadja. Nadja. I've played Jessica by the Allman Brothers and a little interlude of the Top Gear theme song. <laughs> <laughs> and then I played Behind the Nut Love by John Five. And then I went to Munster Rag by Brad Paisley and then ended with Corey Wong by Wolfpack. You playing Behind the Nut, love? Yes. <laughs> and he was, quite literally. So, as always... That was fun! As always, I begin every episode with uncertainty. How will it turn out? What stupid thing will I say? What will I have to do to edit out things or not? (laughs) How long will it take me to produce the episode? And I'm so not excited about it. And then we get into it, and the magic comes into the room. (laughs) It's fun. It's fun. Um, Nearly every time. Now, there's a couple times we've ended an episode, and I'm just thinking, man, that did not go well. I'm eh, not going to like it. It's, it's not going to be good. That's how I felt after the acoustic songs, because I had so many, I had so much computer trouble, and yes, I was, and, it, and you it, kept getting your songs. It, it upset me. Yeah, no, that was can. that was funny, but the computer trouble and all that. Yeah, but but it turned out really good. It and, did, and even even some of the ones that I don't like quite as much as others, I think are good, but. Uh, sometimes they it just goes really well when we're recording, and I think today was a good example of that. And I hope that that comes through and that you enjoy it uh, as much as we did putting it together. I, like I said, I'm, I broke all the rules, and I don't feel bad about that because I feel like I got you some really cool stuff to listen to and to hopefully explore Really further. some interesting stuff, and like, I, like we said, episode 25... Hard of our main line. We've got about we've got over 40 episodes in total. Mm-hmm. I'll have to go over these stats for real next episode, but it's something like 50 or 60 hours worth of of Seths if you mm, if you add least, it all up. At least I would say, yeah. So, and we've got two lost episodes as well, and we'll see what happens with those. But I just want to go ahead and say episode 26 will most likely feature some special guests. Yes. We're going to talk about the Beatles in some way, but it will be very nearly our one year anniversary. That's right. Of somebody else's favorite song. That's right. And except for the time that we took off in July, um, we've had at least every other week release at for the last least. year. Yep. And at times many more than that. Yes. So, uh, thank you for being here and for joining us and making it all the way through the instrumental episode. There's no lyrics to discuss. There's no tequila. meaning to discuss. Tequila is a lyric. <laughs> and so is... Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and the scatting that Al Jarreau does. Yes. <laughs> 
But anyway, thanks again. Until next time, I'm Josh. I'm Jacob. And this is Somebody Somebody Else's else's Favorite favorite songs. Songs.